Welcome to the Vineyard Cincinnati podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast. Good morning, Vineyard Cincinnati. My name is Beth Guckenberger. I am part of the teaching team here, and it's my privilege to be here on Baby Dedication Sunday and to be a part of this Jesus series. And I just want to, for a minute, piggyback on that announcement about global outreach. Uh, I've, I've missed you the last couple of weeks. I've been traveling internationally, and if, that, if a mission trip has ever been on your bucket list, I, the world is desperate for good news to get spread. And you are carriers of that good news. And this church is doing some really fabulous trips with Convoy Hope and Back to Back. And if that's just even something you're interested in, I wanted to encourage you um, to take a chance and, and reach out and find out more information. I also, before we jump into the series, wanted to take a minute to talk about, as a family, what, what do we do when we get the kind of hard news that we've been getting this week coming out of Ukraine? Like, how are we supposed to process that? What's our responsibility? How do we even pray? There's a couple of things I want to just, that I wanted to share with you that I hold on to. And the first thing is, <clears throat> there's no bow to put on it. I don't, I don't want you to think that it's more spiritual to pretend that something that is hard is not hard. It is hard, war is hard. And we're allowed to say that. Jeremiah 15, 19 says, if you can extract the precious from the worthless, you can be my spokesman. But he's not afraid to call something worthless when it's hard. War is hard. And we need to pray that God is in the midst of it and that he's doing the kinds of things that only God can do. God cannot not do his work. He is a redeemer, reconciler. He is a restorer, he's a rescuer, he's a repairer of things that are broken. We can be confident he's in the middle of hard. And we have spiritual siblings in both of those countries. And on this day, how did they wake up this morning, not able to maybe gather in the way this, that we did? Like, what, what would it be like? And I think the way we stay spiritually tender is we exercise empathy. We just for a minute try to imagine what it would be like to try to have a baby this week in Ukraine. What would it be like to see your sons go away into conflict and have no idea what's gonna happen? What would it be like? What would it be like? And when you start to feel those feelings, that's how then you pray, just trying to understand and then intercede. Just that keeps us so that it's not a news story, but it's a spiritual exercise in the middle of it. Our spiritual siblings are holding on to the same Jesus we are. They're trusting the promises that we're studying this morning and that we hold on to in our daily lives. And I want us to pray that they continue to find strength in fellowship, in the kinds of things God's told them up until now. I wanna share with you a video of some of our spiritual brothers and sisters who went to find shelter underground and then found each other and, and began to worship. Watch this video with me. Thank you. 
was watching that thinking to myself, if that was happening here and I was underground, would I start singing? Would I look for the rest of you to start singing with me? The, the lyrics that they were singing translates as you, Jesus, gave your life for us. And in your living word, we find comfort. I've told you before about that word hallelujah. Hallelujah is actually two Hebrew words sewn together. The first part of that word is hallel. That means to make a loud noise, to worship, to celebrate, to boast, to rave. The second part of that word comes from Yahweh, the way God introduces himself to Moses as I am. Hallelujah means to make a loud noise, to worship and celebrate the great I am. He always has been, is, and always will be. We have turned hallelujah into like a good job, God. Right? When things happen the way we want to, we're like, oh, hallelujah. The rain stopped. Oh, hallelujah. I didn't get pulled over. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> the test results came back the way I wanted. Oh, good job, God. But that's not the way hallelujah. Hallelujah was designed for exactly moments like that. When you literally have no idea what's gonna happen and things are utterly out of control, we're to worship and make a noise for the great I am. That's where comfort comes from. We can trust God is building his church. He's building his church in Ukraine. He's building his church in Russia. And nothing's gonna stop him. He is not surprised and still on the throne. So as we pray together, it may be that you're facing something in your own world that feels hard. We will not put a bow on it. Hard is hard. It might be that you're facing, you're consuming the news and you're, you're recognizing that things are shifting in the world, what's that mean? And for a few minutes, we're gonna think about not what this means for our vacation plans or the way it interrupts our regularly scheduled programming or what it's doing to our investment portfolios. We're gonna think about what it would feel like to be one of God's kids in the middle of a conflict region. And we're gonna pray that God meets them there and comforts them in his living word. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we come together alongside of your kids all over the globe on this day, corporately interceding on behalf of your kids. Jesus, we ask for you to do the things that only you will ever get credit for and glory for. Will you rescue and reconcile and redeem and repair? Will you comfort with your living word? Will you teach us how to worship in the middle of storylines we don't like and we can't control? Will you help us to find each other? Jesus, for all of the situations that only your eyes are privy to, marriages, parenting, healthcare. I, I can't even imagine all of the havoc that is being wrecked. I ask Jesus, would you strengthen your people? Would their light be even brighter in the midst of the darkness? Would they find words to give the reason for the hope that they have? Would they be quick to share their testimony with a neighbor or underground with a stranger? Would you bring the, the Russian leader to repentance in a way only you can do? Jesus, we love you and we trust you and it is with the authority that we have as co-heirs with you together with our spiritual siblings that we ask that you release an anointing on the world, that you use this moment, that you have our attention. We love you and we trust you and we pray these things in your name, amen. Amen, amen. Oh, you all, I am happy to be in this Jesus series. Today, we're gonna talk a little bit about the story of the woman that was caught in adultery. And while I was studying this passage in John chapter eight, I was struck with this question, are we held accountable 
for what we do and our worst moments. When you feel caught in sin, what do you do? Do you feel shame? Do you feel defensive? Do you try to close your eyes? Do you look to others? Or do you call out to Jesus? I brought a video of some girls who have some advice for us this morning. There's a lot of things going on in the world. Here's some advice. Call Jesus. Things not working out at your job. Call Jesus. Things not working out at your school. Call Jesus. Things not working out like anywhere. Call Jesus. Everybody needs a little Jesus now and then in their heart. If your boyfriend breaks up with you, call Jesus. Don't call Tyrone. Call Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Yes. Hi. You were laughing when that little one said, don't call Tyrone, call Jesus, right? <laughs> we're gonna talk today about how we don't call Tyrone, we're gonna call Jesus. Oh, Jesus says in chapter eight of John, he returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple, and a crowd soon gathered. He was a crowd gatherer, no doubt about it, and he sat down and he began to teach them because he is a teacher, and as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. First of all, is anybody else reading that and thinking, where is the man? Like, why didn't he get drug out in front of the crowd, right? I mean, clearly he was involved in it. Legally speaking, the standard of evidence was very high for the crime of adultery. There had to be two witnesses who agreed perfectly who actually saw the act take place. It was not enough to see two people leave a room or even find two people in bed. To be accused of adultery, two people had to agree and see the act going down. So it's under these conditions, it's almost impossible to prove unless it was a setup. I'm wondering if maybe that man was in on it and that he was using that woman as a pawn in his conflict against Jesus. And so just since we're using our empathy muscles this morning, just take a minute to imagine what that would have felt like to the woman when that sunk in. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And that's our question this morning. What, what do you say, Jesus? What does Jesus say when he catches us in our worst moment? Like, whatever's going on in the theater of your mind right now as you replay what you feel like is your worst moment, how's Jesus looking at you? Where was he when that was happening? How do you imagine him seeing you in the middle of that moment that you're picturing I was, uh, when I was in high school, I, were, I lived right by Kings Island, and I used to work on that beast, that roller coaster. They, I, I could have paid them to work there. I loved it so much. And every Saturday night after we closed the ride, they had, my crew had parties, but we closed on Saturday nights at 11 in those days. And by the time we cleaned up, I was right up against my midnight curfew where apparently nothing good happens after midnight, so my mother told me. So uh, I never could go to those crew parties, which was pretty much okay with me, except for one Saturday, it wasn't okay with me. And I wanted to go be with everyone else. 
So I told my parents that I was gonna go spend the night with my friend Angie, which was true, I was going to after I went to that party. And I was kind of a classic 16-year-old who I'd, I mean, I named all the highways by the malls that they led to. So there was like the Kenwood Highway and the Tri-County Highway and the Forest Fair Highway. And I didn't really know where I was going. I just followed the taillights that were in front of me after we closed the park and I drove to a party. And even I knew, I mean, this is like before GPS, by the way. And even I knew that we were kind of going far when we crossed the Indiana state line and the party was in Lawrenceburg. And uh, I had been there actually only about 15 minutes when I realized it actually wasn't my scene. I kind of had a pit in my stomach about it and I knew I didn't want to stay there but nobody else was ready to leave after 15 minutes and so I got back in my car and tried to retrace my steps and I found myself back on the highway which was feeling very relieving and I was driving back towards Cincinnati and there's a point where that highway splits in half and you have two choices. You can go to Columbus or you can go to Cincinnati Columbus definitely did not sound right. I did not want to go to Columbus. So I took the route to Cincinnati, and by the time I crossed over the Kentucky Bridge, I realized I was a long way from home. And um, yeah, next time I should have gone to Columbus, but I was lost. And I really only had one option at that point. That was to pull over and find a payphone. And I looked under my chair to find a quarter, and I called home. And I I remember when my dad picked up the phone, I'm like, Dad, I'm lost. I'm so sorry. I know you think I'm with Angie, but I'm not. I crossed the bridge, and now I'm somewhere in Kentucky. Tonight, I've already been to Indiana, and I know we live in Ohio, and I don't know how to get back to you. And God bless him. (laughs) He just answered really calmly. "I'm, I'm glad you called me. Just tell me where you are, and I'll lead you home. And my dad was fabulous that night. But the truth is, he is just a shadow reflection of the heart of my heavenly father. He was just representing him in that moment when we call Jesus in our worst moments and say, somehow I found myself in three different states and I know none of them are right. Jesus answers us by, hey, tell me where you are and I'll lead you home. That's what he's saying to us. What would you say, Jesus? If, if Jesus said to the people that were gathered, well, let, like, let her go, it would seem like he'd be breaking the law of Moses and relaxing the public morals. And if he said, well, go ahead and execute her, you can stone her for her crime of adultery, then Jesus would seem harsh and cruel and be going against his very nature. But he has always had another way. In the middle of those kind of quandaries, he has only had one kind of nature. It's why we know we can trust it right now on something that's going on in the other side of the world. He has one kind of way. It's to heal and repair the world. There's a Hebrew phrase that goes together called tekim alam. It literally means to make crooked roads straight, to heal and repair the world. I have my tekim alam shirt on today. I almost can't wear it on stage. That's why I have a sweater covering it up. But someone gave it to me at a missions conference I spoke at. It says, make the world suck less and do good. I know, I can't totally even show it to you, but that's what it says right there, okay? But, like, it's... It's my Takim Alom shirt. It's the idea that there are things going on that we do not like and that don't feel okay. And we have choices. We can judge them. We can shake our heads at them. We can participate in them. Or we can do what Jesus has always taught us and and enter into chaos and bring his peace. And bring his peace. (laughs) How can we point people in the middle of their worst moments to Jesus? To just call Jesus. 
He'll tell us, and what, like, what will Jesus say when we call him? He'll say, I love you. I have compassion for you. I never lost sight of you. I'm here waiting for you. I got big plans for you. Those are the kinds of things that Jesus is gonna say. That crowd didn't understand it because verse, uh, verse six, they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But he stooped down and began to write in the dust with his finger. When you see Jesus do things in the gospel that don't make any sense, there's always a context that maybe you aren't familiar with that's somewhere in the Old Testament. So like, for example, when Jesus said, we're to forgive our enemies seven times 70, he's not intending on us doing the math and then keeping track, right? Because a few people in our lives have crossed the 490 mark. The reason he says we're to forgive seven times 70 is because he's referencing a story we can find in the text. It's in the book of Genesis chapter four. There's a man named Lamech and he said this, hear my words, I've killed a man for wounding me and a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. So when Jesus tells us to forgive seven times 70, what he's saying is if the son of man is known for vengeance seven times 70, then the sons of God will be known for forgiveness seven times 70. We are opposite of the way the world works. We are against our human nature. So when he says and does something that we're like, what, what is that about? So if he, if he bends down in the middle of this very intimate moment with this woman in front of this crowd and all this public shaming and he starts writing in the dust, you better believe there's someplace in the text where it talks about dust writing. We find it in Jeremiah chapter 17. It says, Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. These men knew a little something about shaming. They would recognize that. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they've forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. I've heard plenty of messages about Jesus who was riding in the dust to draw attention away from her, and for sure, that happened. But he was also counting on that audience not wanting their names written in the dust because he's letting them know, you have forsaken me. This is not my way. You wanna drink the, the living water I have? This is not how we do it. We, as a people, we tequim along. What are you doing? You're making crooked roads crookeder. You're trying to cause more damage to a situation that's already hurting. You're trying to shake your fingers and judge and shame and you're sinning further. And by the way, that's not healing or repairing anything. That's not our way. They thought they were putting Jesus to the test, but actually it was the other way around. The difference between test and tempt is in the motivation of the tester and their expectations. The devil tempts so that we sin. But, but God, and Jesus, he tests in order to reveal and sharpen our character, and he has no focus on making us fail. He wants those men to repent as much as he wants that woman. He's always the teacher. Here he's teaching the woman, I see you. And he's teaching the accusers, look into your own heart. And he's teaching all the rest of us that are reading this story and that he knew would one day encounter this account. And what do you think on this Sunday morning in 2022, he's trying to teach us? I think to some of us, he's saying, put down your stones. And to some of us, he's saying, you are more than the sum of your acts. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and he said, all right, 
but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. He was stooped down and then he stood up against them before he stooped down again. But when he stood up against them, he looked him in the eye and those details in our scriptures, they matter. I want you in your mind's eye to paint that picture of Jesus having been down on the ground, probably writing their names in that dust, letting them know he sees what's going on in their heart and then he stands up and look them in the eye. Yahweh, the great I am, will stand up to your accuser. And our accuser may have words that that come out of somebody else's mouth, but they're authored by him. He is a liar. He's the father of lies. Revelation 12 calls him the accuser of the brethren, right? John 8 says he was a murderer from the beginning, doesn't stand in the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and he's the father of lies. He lies to us. The devil lies. He tells us things about ourselves that aren't true. What what, what do we think he might have been whispering to that woman? Things like you're worthless. And this act, this decision of yours will forever define you. That's not true. Those are lies. And the great I am stood up to look at the accusers in the eye in the same way he will for us today. Oh, about 15 years ago, I got asked by a publishing company to write a book about our Mexico stories. And for two years, I told them no. And I, I had all kinds of pretty reasons, like I was really busy and I had all these kids and blah, blah, blah. I've never been a writer before, but the truth is I was really afraid. I was afraid for all kinds of reasons. And we had a friend visiting us, a mentor of Todd's and I, and he was kind of pressing me in why I wasn't willing to do it. And I said, oh, I just don't have time. And he goes, oh, I don't really believe that. We, we make time for what we want to do. And then I said, well, I mean, I don't know why me. I mean, everybody around us, all of the other rest of the staff have stories. Why do I get to write down mine? And he's like, well, they asked you. And I said, well, I just, I don't know. I mean, nobody wants to see that crown up on my head. He's like, what are you talking about? And I went, oh my goodness, I cannot believe this is about that. In the fall of 1990, I was a senior in high school, so there you go, do your math. And I was a cheerleader for my high school football team, and it was halftime at the homecoming game. And uh, I was on the high school homecoming court, so for like 10 minutes, you know, lived out all my princess fantasies where we got dressed in a dress and rode the back of a convertible around the track. And, and when it was time to announce who the homecoming queen was, they called my name and they handed me this crown. And I don't know if you remember or even were alive in the fall of 1990, but we had a really common theme among our hairstyles. It was big, right? We had big hair in 1990. I had a perm and I had a can of Aquanet and my hair was as high as it possibly could be. So when they put that crown in my head, you couldn't even see it, right? I mean, it just like went underneath all those bangs. After homecoming, after that little ceremony, I went up to the locker room to change out of my homecoming dress and to put my cheerleading uniform back on so I could go back out and cheer the second half. And I was like in a hurry because I knew the cheer- that was the game was starting and I was rushing and I was in like a locker room. And so I just looked at the mirror really fast before I went back out. And I never even saw the crown that was stuck up there in that hair because you couldn't see it with all the bangs going on. I walk out of the locker room and I'm getting ready to hand off my backpack to my mom and this girl that's like, like fremony, if you know what that term means, right? She, she encountered me on the walkway and said, oh, take that crown off there. Nobody wants to see that up on your head. And now as an adult, I realize her friend lost and she was feeling sad about that. 
But at the moment, I had forgotten I had that crown there and I ripped that thing off my head and ashamed stuffed that thing in my backpack and thought I had forgotten about that moment. But my accuser hadn't. And he knew exactly when to pull that thing out. And when I said to my friend Rob, I don't, they don't wanna see that crown up on my head, I said, I cannot believe I'm about to say no to this because of something that happened then. It's time to stand up to my accuser. Jesus, would you give me the right words to say it? And when I think about all the ways in which that book, Reckless Faith, has benefited our ministry and changed my life, I think it takes my breath away, I almost said no to it. But that's how the enemy works. That's how the enemy works. In this storyline with this woman, her accusers had power, but Jesus stood up to them because he doesn't just have power, Jesus is power and he'll share it with us, and we can call Jesus so that we can stand up to the enemy. We just need to call Jesus, not Tyrone, Jesus. <laughs> when the accusers heard this, uh, verse nine, when the accusers heard this, this only throw the stone if you've never been sinned, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, which that gives me great courage. Like, I pray we're getting wiser as we're getting older. Like, hopefully the old men in the room recognized as they played on the screen of their own minds, their own worst moments, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with this woman. And now we're back to the beginning of the story. What do you say, Jesus? She's alone with him, and, and what does he say to her? What do you think Jesus says to you when you're alone with him and you've been caught in something that you shouldn't have been doing, shouldn't have been saying, shouldn't have been thinking. Here's what I know Jesus said to her. He said, I am faithful and just and I will forgive your sins and I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He said, I am not here to condemn the world but that, so that the world may be saved. I will have compassion on you and I will tread your sin underfoot and I will cast your sins into the depths of the sea. And daughter, there is therefore now no condemnation for any of you who are in me, in Christ Jesus. He said to her, I love you. I'm crazy about you and I will lead you home. That's what he's saying to us. Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And if he doesn't hold it against us, then neither can anybody else. Amen. Neither can anybody else. We can think to ourselves that we're out of the story, that God, he, he, he wants to, that we might be disqualified because of something that we have done and a choice that we've made. But God is looking at our whole life at one time. He is not stuck in one chapter. He knows all the things that he has yet to write into your life. And he doesn't want you paralyzed or held static or captive by shame. Shame literally freezes us. It is static, not dynamic. Forgiveness and grace flows from us and flows through us. It's why he'll say so many times, the measure with which you've been forgiven, you can use to forgive others. You'll understand the grace. Imagine, like, I think to myself, God tells us to be a part of his kingdom of priests, right? That's what Takim Alam is all about. Go out and make crooked roads straight. Go out and repair, heal and repair the world. I, we don't know what happened to this woman, but I love imagining it. What kind of 
ambassador do you think she was for Jesus after this? What kind of grace do we think she extended to people in her life? What kind of testimony did she give to people to get them over the hump of feeling stuck in any particular moment in time? God knows. I mean, I think about Peter, right? Peter denied Christ three times. That was his worst moment. But God had so many plans for him still, right? 50 days after that, he was gonna use him to bring the Holy Spirit to the church. He had a whole ministry left for him to do. If you find yourself this morning stuck because of some situation, some broken, some hurt, some hard, some sin, some something, the message is pretty simple. What do you say, Jesus, to us? You are not the sum of your worst mistakes. You have been bought by the blood of Jesus. You are redeemed, you are reconciled, you have been rescued, and you are restored. And now you go forth. I wanna finish up our time here this morning, uh, invite the prayer team certainly to start making their way forward. And we're gonna make some room for that conversation between you and the Lord. And the next few minutes can look a lot of different ways. It's not prescriptive. Some of you might stay in your seats and worship the Lord and just let him say to you what he wants to say to you. He may use music or an impression of the spirit in you to free you from something you walked in here carrying. Some of you might get a chance to take communion. We encourage you to do so. There are communion stations up in the balcony, there's communion stations in the back of this room. There's communion stations here. If you're watching us online, get your Ritz crackers and your grape juice. Like wherever you are, there's communion available. You can take communion up front here if you'd like to. You can take communion at your seat. You can take communion with the people you came with. You can take communion all by yourself. It's a representation of what God does. He, he, he actively frees us. And because he's freed us, we are, what we've done against him, he'll hold against us no longer and neither can anyone else. And as the prayer teams have been praying anticipation for this weekend, they felt the Lord tell them a few things that they were gonna get the privilege of praying with you for. And if any of these words end up stirring something in you, moving something in you, I want you to consider it like a spiritual finger beckoning you up to the prayer teams. They are literally gifted, trained, called to intercede with you on your behalf to the heavens. And if something you brought in here is not on that screen, come to us. We wanna minister alongside of you. We want you to hear the voice of Jesus, the truth and not the accusation. Oh man, would you pray with me? Jesus, I just, so grateful. I'm so grateful that you stoop down to write in the dust and you stand up to look at my accuser. I'm so grateful that you're teaching us that you cannot be trapped. I'm so grateful that you are a restorer and a reconciler. I'm so grateful that the things that I do against you, you hold against me no longer. I'm so grateful, Jesus. My heart is grateful this morning. So again, Jesus, we just pray that you would release an anointing on this sanctuary and everyone who's watching online that we would leave with the kind of ambassadorship that this woman left with, recognizing what you saved us from and spreading the good news of what it feels like to be the recipient of your grace. 
Lord Jesus, I pray these things in your holy and precious and resurrected name. Amen. Will you stand with me and let's sing this together. Let's make space for the Holy Spirit to speak in this moment. Let's sing this together. Here's where. Here is where I lay it down. Every burden, every crown. This is my surrender. This is my surrender. Here is where I lay it down, every lie and every doubt, this is my surrender. And I will make room for you to do whatever you I will make room for you to do whatever you want to, to do whatever you want to, Lord, because your way is better.
of all my tradition break down the walls of all my religion your way is better your way is better shake up shake up the ground of all my tradition break down the walls of all my religion your way is better oh, your way is better shake up the ground of all my tradition break down the walls of all my religion your way is better Let me tell you what I heard in that talk. I heard Holy Spirit say, the enemy wants you sitting in shame. And I want to set you free. The shame of the enemy says you are worthless. But the grace of God says you are beloved and adored. Come on home. I don't care what you've done. Come on home. And so if you're here today and you're just wrestling with something, do not leave here without inviting someone to pray for you. If it's in your seat, turn together friends that just, and if you don't want to reveal, just, I need prayer. I need more of Jesus. Call Jesus. Do not, do not be too proud. I ain't too proud to beg. Don't be too proud. Let go. Make room. Invite people to pray. Come down and get prayer. Jesus calls you home and loves you. Don't be racked by shame. If you want to get one of the best books, I just forgot it. You want to toss me that book real quick? She didn't want to promote her book, but I do. It's called Throw the First Punch. It's about battling the enemy. It's about battling the enemy. Do not let the enemy win. God doesn't just have power. He is the power. So if someone wants this book, you can come get it from me. Otherwise, out on the table, you can go buy one. If you don't have money to buy one, come find me. I'll help you buy it. Bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast.